we are so excited to be here. We feel like God is just going to do some really awesome things. We have been praying over tonight. We've been praying over the worship leader. We've been praying over the speaker and over the musicians. All right, and I know it took a lot for everybody to get here tonight. Everybody's had a busy day. A lot of you have busy weekends. There's a lot of stuff going on. So the very first thing I would like for you to do is I want everybody to get a piece of paper and a pen out, okay? Get a piece of paper and a pen. If you don't have paper, Lisa has a notebook and she'll tear some out for you. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make your to-do list out, all right? The things that you think, the things that need to get done tonight when you get home, the things that you need to do tomorrow or Sunday that are weighing on your mind that are in your head going, oh, I got to remember to do that. I got to remember to do that. I want you to write down five or six things that you know need to get done in your life this weekend that don't have anything to do with the retreat, that have to do with going to the grocery store, making phone calls, making lists. If you have things that are on your to-do list that, you're, that are kind of in the back of your mind, I just want you to write them down right now. Okay, now I just want you to put that paper away, all right? You don't have to worry about those things anymore. You know when you walk out of this building tonight, you're going to have your list in hand, and it's done, okay? So what we're going to do now is we're just going to enter into a time of quiet, okay? I want everybody to just close their eyes and just be. Psalm 4610 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the heavens. I will be exalted on the earth. And so we're just going to take a few minutes and just be quiet. We've already made our to-do list. We don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. And we just want to clear our minds and be prepared to worship because God is here and he's ready to show up and show us his presence. Lord, together we invite your presence. We ask you to open our eyes. Let us see you. Open our ears. Let us hear you. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. We glorify you and honor you. Amen. I want you to take a look around you, people to your left and your right, and maybe glance, you maybe notice one of us who are up here. When we come to worship, um, we're singing to God, right? We're, we're giving our glory to we're giving glory to Him. We're singing out to Him. It's also an opportunity to join our voices together, to sing together. In a sense, we're borrowing faith from one another. We're singing out loud. When I'm standing up here and you guys are singing toward me, I tell you, I borrow hope and I borrow faith when you sing out, and I, I hear that and it it builds me up. And I know we're all here because we want to encounter Jesus this weekend, right? We're all here because we have needs we want to present before him. So I'm going to ask you to take um, just a minute or two to continue in silence. Pray for the people around you. Pray for one of us, and we're going to pray for each other up here. And when you have silently prayed, um, pray that we could worship in spirit and truth. Pray that, that each person around us would be able to encounter God this weekend. And when you've finished praying, go ahead and stand, and I'll know that it's time to sing. Quite a number of months ago, God laid a message on Judy's heart for us tonight, and she knew that it was a message from God to us, and she's been praying over it, and she's been praying over each of us that are here tonight. 
And so we're going to go into our session. If you guys want to go ahead and get your Bibles out and pull out paper and pen, and I'm going to call Judy up, and we're going to spend some time praying over Judy and our session tonight. All right, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Holy God, we know that you are in this place. <clears throat> and we know that a long time ago you put this message in Judy's heart. And Father, you know that Judy has been diligent in spending time before you and in your word to hear exactly what you have for her to give to us tonight. And so, Father, we're asking that you would just move Judy out of the way and that you would speak, that we wouldn't hear Judy's voice even, but we would just hear you. And, Father, we know that every time you open your, we open your word, you have a message for us. And so I'm asking, God, that you would help us to clear aside every distraction and for the short amount of time that we would just focus, that our eyes would be on you, that they would be on your word, that we would not be distracted. Father, I pray for Judy as she speaks. I pray if there's anything in her notes that is not of you, that she wouldn't even see it and she would miss it. And I pray that if there's things that you want her to speak, that you would impress them so heavily upon her heart that she would have to speak them. Father, I also lift up Melissa, who's going to be speaking tonight also. And I just ask God that you would put the words in her mouth that you want her to share. Father, I pray that you would give her strength and that you would give her peace. Father, we just can't wait for what you're going to tell us tonight. We want to hear, we want to receive it, we want to be challenged, and then we want to walk in obedience. God, thank you so much for the gift of your son, because without him, there would be no point in us even being here. And it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Um, for me to stand before you tonight, I want you to know that I come as your sister, as your friend, humbled really to be um, asked of God to be a leader to you within our community to um, to love you in his name and, and to love you with his heart. Um, the love of God uh, for you overwhelms me sometimes. It takes my breath away to think about how this heavenly father who sits high on his throne would know your name and would call you by name, would call you daughter, would call you friend, would call you chosen. And so as I come tonight to share a message of community and a message that's just been so, like Karen was saying, just God has been percolating in my heart for months to, to share with you the challenge of God to say, hey, we're in this together. And hey, our God is worth everything that we've got. And let's together and community seek him with everything that we have. So um, I'm going to start with the place that's most comfortable for me. Let's pray. Father, I just know that you are here. And Father, in front of my sisters, I proclaim that in the name of Jesus, there is not... Um, any kind of welcome to the enemy in this place. That in the name of Jesus, we command every enemy of God, every evil spirit, every, every way that Satan would want to mess with us to keep us from knowing the depth of the love of God for us, we command the enemy in this moment 
to leave. Father, I say that this is a holy time. We proclaim that this is a time that is set apart for you, that we might love you better, that we might see you better, that we might know you more, that we might know you together. Father, today we receive your love. I pray that you would wash us with it. I pray that you would wash us deep down in the, the deep, dark places. I pray, Father, that you would bring healing to broken hearts. I pray, God, that you would use even me um, to give a message of love and compassion and surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin today by telling you a little bit about myself. I know that we, have may, we may have sat near each other in church for years. We may have even gone out to coffee. But to really know someone is a special gift. And to really know where they come from helps you, will help you to know where I am today. And so I'm going to begin with a little bit of my, so my story. When I was about five years old, my parents' marriage began to fall apart. And that began in my life kind of a nomadic period of time. I was actually in 11 different elementary schools. My kindergarten was actually something that I like to, I'm kind of proud of. Midway through my kindergarten year, the Three Mile Island nuclear reactor had somewhat of a meltdown. And I lived in the red zone which may have to do with my curly hair today, but I don't know. But my, my kindergarten teacher's name was Mrs. French. And well, my dad came to Seven Sorrows where I was going to school. It was really a happy place. And picked me up and, and he whisked me off to my grandparents' house in Allentown without any underwear packed in my bag. Devastating for a kindergartner. Ah, you know, you need all your stuff. And I had nothing. Um, I'll work through that later. But when I eventually was able to go back to kindergarten weeks later, my kindergarten teacher's name was Mrs. Fry. <laughs> so I had Mrs. French and Mrs. Fry all in the same year of kindergarten. So that's pretty exciting. You know, if you're going to be five and you have to go through that kind of trauma, you might as well have a French fry at the end of the day. And so that was kindergarten. But really, you know, I don't know if, if you're familiar with divorce, but divorce takes time and it... It's messy, and are they going to get back together? Are they going to separate? Is he going to run off with some other woman, or is he going to run off with this woman, or is he going to whatever? You know, that was kind of my dad um, back then. And I didn't know. You know, there was so much uncertainty, and there was so much moving around that when a girl moves around a lot, and when there's so much turbulence within the family itself, it perpetuates a cycle of, self-defense or just kind of building some barriers, really, just to protect yourself. I don't know that those barriers are necessarily a bad thing. I think they may be grace in some way. You know what I mean? For a seven-year-old girl to have some kind of way to protect her heart if, if her parents aren't doing that or if they're not able to. So I learned to protect my heart. And when I went to um, 
11 different elementary schools. I was in three different fourth grades. You know how people can talk about like what their teachers' names were? I don't even know what school I was in when I had that teacher and what the teacher's name was anyway. I mean, like the whole thing is just like mumble jumble. Okay, so the irony is when I was in um, seventh grade, my family was in sort of a difficult situation. We were about to be evicted from our apartment in New Jersey. And my mom, although she had a steady job and was a hardworking woman, she didn't quite make enough money to have another, to have another apartment. We needed to have a, a three-bedroom apartment because my little brother, who was two, was about to be three. And in New Jersey, you weren't allowed to share a room in the same whatever gender. Like it had to be the same gender in the same room. So anyway, we weren't going to be like qualified for apartments we could actually afford. So my mom was going through this huge crisis, of course, you know, because we were about to be homeless. And um, I had this crazy fight with my three best friends at school. And I don't know if, if you remember seventh grade, but you're technically not allowed to have three best friends. Like, there's, there's some tension there that middle schoolers really don't know how to work through. And I certainly didn't. Anyway, do you remember call waiting? Am I dating myself? Well, I am old. I'm almost 40. But, well, that's not old. That's in the prime of my life, <laughs> young. Um, but we had call waiting. Anyway, I was talking on the phone with one of my friends, and someone wanted to try to make an emergency breakthrough. And we didn't have call waiting. It was emergency breakthroughs, Danielle remembers. And, and someone was trying. I was like, no, 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 I'm talking to this person. Well, anyway, by the time I got to school the next day, I had denied, like, several emergency breakthroughs. And I was, like, in deep kimchi, as we would say in Korea. And by the time... so. I was like, I didn't know what to do. I had these three best friends. They were all mad at each other. They didn't know who was really my best friend. Like, let's make some definitions here. Am I your best friend? Is she your best friend? Because if she's your best friend, then I'm mad at you. But if I'm your best friend, then I'm glad. And we hate her. And nah, nah, nah. So anyway, came from home from school that day. And my mom's like, Judy, I got a call this morning about um, moving to Germany. Would you want to move to Germany? I was like, yes. Today, yesterday, before the, before the emergency breakthroughs happened. So anyway, that was totally a fluke because by the next day, of course, all my best friends were fine with each other and I didn't want to go. But, but we were going. And Germany was going to be the place, which is kind of interesting, that I would actually live the longest. And so God moved us over there and I was in a military community. And in a military community, teenagers are, you know, they move around a lot. And so we all kind of knew how to hide our hearts. We all kind of knew how to be cool on the outside, but really on the inside, just kind of long for somebody to really know me. You know what I mean? For someone to be like, okay with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, as a, middle, as a high school student, to be able to say, Judy, I know that you're eating up with insecurity right now, but I love you, and I'm going to sit next to you at lunch. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's depth to that. And as a high school student, I was longing for it. I was, I remember just trying to figure out what did it mean to be a friend? You know, I, didn't, I don't even know if I understood the depths of what did it even mean to be a friend, let alone to have a kind of friendship that God desired for me to have. I was, I, I became a Christian while I was over in Germany. And, um, and, and I tried to figure out what Christian friends, anyway, the whole thing was just a mess. And so I lived this, this kind of life on the outside of this 
you know, really, I was voted most spirited in my senior high school class. But, I mean, what does that mean? You know what I mean? I, mean, I really did a good show for everyone. You know what I mean? Like, was part of that me? Probably part of that was me. But on the inside, I was just really broken. On the inside, I was really worried every day when I walked down to the lunchroom on about were my friends going to be there to sit with or was it going to be awkward? You know? And so I think that even then, God began to cultivate in me this desire for true community, true someone to really know me, for me to really know someone, and, and we're, we're okay with who we are, you know? I think that that's part of what we're going to be doing in this journey together, is to be able to look and say, okay, I've got a history as well. You know what I mean? And in my history, along the way, there are places that I kind of built walls up around my heart because I felt like I needed to protect myself. But the problem is I've brought those walls with me into the church. I still have the walls, even though I don't need to protect myself from my sisters in Christ. You know, because the walls became such a safe place for me. And the challenge is, what does it even look like to live without those walls? You know, what does that even look like? What does that even look like? So here we are with this longing for a true friend, the little boy who comes, up, comes over to my house in the mornings. I was asking him if he had any true friends. And he's like, no, I don't have any true friends. He's seven years old, and it breaks my heart. And I was like, well, let's pray that God would give you a true friend, Jacob. And this morning at my table, we asked him, so Jacob, has God given you any true friends? And he said, I think so. Even at seven years old, He's a little boy who's just longing for a true friend. That's what we're created for. It begins that young. This story that we're going to read in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, feel free to open your Bibles. I think it will be up there. Is to me a beautiful example of true friendship. Let me read it for you. This is actually in the New Living Translation. I think it's up there in the New Living Translation. Karen's got me uh, preaching out of it because she teaches out of it in her class at the Y. Um, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After a few days, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and word got around that he was back home. A crowd gathered, jamming the entrance so no one could get in or out. He was teaching the word. They brought a paraplegic to him, carried by four men. When they weren't able to get in because of the crowd, they removed part of the roof and lowered the paraplegic on his stretcher. Impressed by their bold belief, Jesus said to the paraplegic, Son, I forgive your sins. Some religion scholars sitting there started whispering among themselves, He can't talk that way, that's blasphemy. God and only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew right away what they were thinking and said, Why are you so skeptical? Which is simpler? To say to the paraplegic, I forgive your sins, or to say, get up, 
take your stretcher and start walking. Well, just so it's clear that I am the Son of Man and am authorized to do both, he looked now at the paraplegic. Get up. Pick up your stretcher and go home. And the man did it. He got up, grabbed his stretcher, and walked out. Walked out. With everyone there watching him, they rubbed their eyes, incredulous, and then praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. So here's the scene. Jesus is in Capernaum. This is a place that's close to his heart because it's the hometown of Peter, James, John, and Andrew. The town of Capernaum itself is mentioned 22 times in the Gospels. Jesus had already done some ministry in this town. He cast out a demon. He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, remember, so he, she could get up and make him some food. <laughs> and he goes on to heal many other with various diseases and cast out many demons. Jesus took a short trip to other towns, um, and then he returned to Capernaum. He was becoming a very popular guy. Folks who heard about Jesus said, he speaks as one who has authority, not so much unlike the teachers of the law. I love that line. You guys need to memorize that. He speaks as one who has authority, unlike the teachers of the law, which that obviously did not make the teachers of the law very happy, or Jesus was not his, their favorite guy, right, because he was speaking with authority, and they weren't. They knew that there was something that Jesus had that people needed, they hoped that they hoped for. They wanted to be around him so much that just before the story in Mark, we see that Jesus had to stay on the outskirts of other cities because the crowds were so intense. And yet they still came to see Jesus even in deserted places. So Jesus is becoming so popular that he can't even go into town anymore. He has to stay on the outskirts. But they don't care. They're coming to him. You see, people came to Jesus. They knew something that folks today have forgotten about Jesus. They knew that he's worthy to go and see. They knew that he's worthy to, to run to. You know, like, he was amazing, miraculous. He did things that they had never seen before or ever even dreamed of seeing. I want us tonight to get a better glimpse of Jesus. He was beautiful. He was loving, kind. Can you imagine the look on Jesus' face as he wipes the tears from someone's eyes? As he leans over a child and just listens to them babble on? The look on Jesus' face when he says to someone, get up, pick up your mat. You know, this is, this is the Jesus that I think that we may have forgotten about. The beauty of who Jesus really is, this kind of Jesus that people just flocked to, they wanted to be with. He was contagious, magnetic. He drew big, big crowds. Can you imagine this Jesus? Have our hearts become too hard to fathom a Jesus that would be so powerful and tender that these men in our story would carry their friend on a mat and say, forget the crowd, we're going to see him, even if we have to go through the roof. My heart is longing to know that Jesus. My, cry, my heart is crying out to remember the Jesus who met me, saved me. I have to stop and remember him, to remember what it was like to be lost and broken. 
I think there's value in that. You know, as tonight, as we try to rekindle, like, who is Jesus? To stop and remember the night that he saved you, the night that he met you, the night that he called you. You know, that time when you realized your utter brokenness without him. And here is Jesus speaking love and kindness over you, even though you're messed up. Do you remember him? I will never forget, Lord, help me to never forget the day I sat in my sister's bedroom after my eighth grade year, my first year in Germany of pure and utter rebelliousness. And God saving me. I had been trying for so long to earn his love. I had been trying for so long to earn a place in heaven. I was at my wit's end. And I remember sitting there in my sister's room and realizing there was grace for me. That this beautiful Jesus, who I had always seen high and lifted up, loved me, accepted me, broken me. When you come into this concept of true community, it begins with that understanding of Jesus. It begins with a deep understanding and knowing. Jesus loves you. He knows everything about you. Everything. And he loves you passionately. To come into that kind of community, we first need to recognize Jesus. I've kind of rewritten this poor guy's story. So... Sit back. <laughs> Imagine talking to these guys, these four guys that had that vision of Jesus, that had that understanding that Jesus was going to be the only one in all the world who could help their friend. They believed it passionately. They believed it with their strength. They believed it with their hearts. They believed it with their actions. Jesus was going to be the one. So imagine sitting down and having coffee at Angel's Island on your coupon with these four guys. We heard that Jesus had come back to Capernaum, and we couldn't wait to go and see him. We would have run. We would have been there earlier, but we had a buddy with us. And he couldn't walk. And I would say that he was pretty heavy. He was a heavy load to carry. But man, we were going to bring him to Jesus. We were going to set him at the feet of Jesus and watch the miracle that we had hoped for our entire lives. We wanted this for our friend. We wanted it for ourselves. We believed Jesus could and would heal our friend. When we finally arrived to the place where Jesus was, we were totally bummed out. The crowd beat us to him. They were everywhere. People were craning their necks to get a look at him. Mamas were carrying their sick babies. 
old men were hunched over trying to get their way in to see the rabbi. But we wanted to see Jesus. And all we saw was a crowd of folks who wanted to see him as much as we did, who needed him like we did. At first we were discouraged, but we knew we could not give up. We were like, we will go through the roof if we have to. And wouldn't you know it, that is exactly what we did. We took our friend over to the house and we hoisted him up onto the roof. My buddies and I began removing roof tiles. We had this nervous excitement. We didn't know what Jesus would say or do. Would we get into trouble? Would people get mad at us for cutting into the front of the line? We didn't care enough to stop our plan. We kept digging. And there it was, light peeking through the roof tiles. Jesus' voice getting louder. We were making it through. A few more goes at this, and we would have a hole that we could be proud of, a hole that we could lower our friend through. Right to Jesus' feet. Oh, man, what would happen next? We didn't know. We held our breath as we lowered our friend down to Jesus' feet, bits of dust falling on his head. And there he was, laying on his mat in front of the man who could change his life forever. Jesus looked at our friend with love in his eyes. He recognized our friend's faith and our faith and my faith. He was happy that we believed in him. He declared my friend's sins to be forgiven. He called my friend son. Can you imagine being called son by this man? He was the rabbi that cast out demons. He was the one who healed the sick. He was like the prophets we had read about all of our lives. And he looks at my friend with love in his eyes and declares my friend to be forgiven and to be son. Moments later, a discussion begins. He addresses the religious people and asks them, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Well, we didn't know. We were not expecting our friend to be some sort of object lesson. Here Jesus was using him as an example that not only could Jesus bring healing, which he did for my friend, but that he could forgive sins. We looked through that hole in the roof with complete amazement at what was happening under our perched frames. Jesus was schooling the religious academy, and my friend was the one being shown as having faith. I was the one Jesus was rewarding. I got to see my friend take up his mat right there in front of all the important people and become important. This was my friend. He was laying on his mat, a broken down sinner, now being exalted in front of all of these religious people as the one who has faith. He wasn't just that sinner anymore who laid helpless on his mat. He was a man commended for his faith, forgiven of his sins, and walking around. To be honest with you, he wasn't really walking. He was running. He was jumping up and down. We kept telling each other the story all the way home. And then on the next day and on the next day after that, you just don't get tired of this kind of story. 
We thought we were crazy to lower him through that roof. We were like, our parents are going to kill us. But instead, we got life. We got Jesus. He loved us for our faith. He is amazing. You have got to get to know him. Can you just imagine the stories these guys go on to tell about Jesus and about how he healed their friend? I love the story. I love the audacity of four guys to just make a hole in the roof, lower their friend down. It was that important to them. They believed Jesus was going to heal him. They believed Jesus for their friend. It was worth making a hole in the roof. Their friend was worth it. We have this amazing Savior, and we live in a world surrounded by so much pain, so many needs, so many lost, so many broken, and we can bring them to Jesus. We can bring them to Jesus. Where else would we bring them? We can present them at the feet of Jesus. But why don't we? Why don't we when a friend tells us, hey, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I'm in a hard place, and in the back of our mind we're thinking about our grocery list, we're thinking about what we're going to do on Saturday night. Our friend is hurting and broken, and we don't give her space to breathe. We don't give her our hearts. Instead, we kind of try to make light of the conversation. Have you been there? You know what I mean? Someone comes up to you, and they're heavy-hearted, and they're broken, and then you're like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And then you change the subject because you felt uncomfortable. You just got into a place that felt messy. You didn't want to just sit there with her in that for a little bit. You know? We just didn't have time. We just don't, we just don't want to go to those uncomfortable places. Because you remember about those walls that we have around our hearts? We don't mind for our friends to have them either, do we? I mean, if... If my wall comes against your wall, you tell me you're hurting. Well, if you just meet my wall, well, then we're just going to end up talking about football. Right? Because it's easy. Maybe somebody wants to crack a joke, change the subject. But they're hurting. They're broken. Jesus doesn't want this for us, girls. It's not what he wants for us. He wants more. He wants more from our friendships and our relationships. He wants our hearts unguarded, let loose. So our, our relationships really do remain superficial. And in a superficial relationship, we're really not that good to anyone. Right? If I don't let you in, if I don't love you enough, when you tell me you're hurting, to stop and take you to Jesus, I have missed the mark. My friend, I have a friend 
he has a lot of pain, physical pain. And for months, God was leading me to pray for this friend. I knew it. I knew, I knew he was going to give me something to give to her. And in this one specific opportunity, we were here at the dessert auction that the youth were having, and it was this great fun time, and my friend came in, and she was hurting, physically hurting. And I just, I was just like, you know, I felt sorry for her, but I was about to go bid on a bunt cake. You know what I mean? Like, but this wasn't just any kind of bunt cake. This was from nothing bunt cakes. And it was chocolate, chocolate chip. It was, it was, it was a good-sized cake. And so, you know, I was like, to my friend who, you know, has grace for me. Thank you, Holly. Um, I was like, man, I'm, I'm sorry about your pain, but I got to go bid on a bunt cake. You know, bless you and holla. That's for you, man. So, so I missed my opportunity that night. And I tell you, I went home, and I did win the bunt cake. Um, but actually, Chris Struthers won the bunt cake and gave it to me, which is really great because I totally didn't deserve it. But, but I went home that night, and I was like, God, I blew it again. You gave me an opportunity to bring a friend to Jesus. And I was so caught up in the excitement of the bunt that I missed it. It's kind of a funny word to say. <laughs> you know, I missed it. I missed my opportunity. And I, I asked God, would you help me to not miss those opportunities again? When someone comes to me with pain, will you help me not to just do that sickening, pitiful, oh, I'm sorry? Will you help me just get down in the mess with her? Will you help me believe Jesus so much? that I will bring my friend who Jesus loves to Jesus' feet and not just leave her there in her pain, in her loneliness, in her brokenness, whatever it might be. These four guys knew two very important things. They knew Jesus was healer. They knew that their friend was worth bringing to Jesus no matter what the cost. No matter how uncomfortable the journey. No matter how heavy he was on his stretcher. No matter the fact that they were going to show up too late. These four guys loved their friend enough to lay down their agenda, their schedule, their physical comfort to bring their friend to Jesus. 
powerful. That speaks to me. I think a lot of times that people don't bring their friends to Jesus is because they don't think Jesus is the answer to their friend's need. They don't think Jesus is going to get involved in this issue. That's a hard thing to say. But I think it strikes a nerve in us. Do I not bring people to Jesus because I think Jesus doesn't have time for them? Because I think that this is a, this is a thing that's too small for Jesus. Jesus is really just worried about feeding, you know, kind of global world peace, Right? But whether or not my friend has enough money to get on the mission field, well, that's just something that I'm going to kind of be like, oh, man, come on. But do I really believe Jesus is the one who holds the keys to getting Wesley and Monica on the mission field? Do you know what I mean? Do I believe he's the one who has the cattle on the Thousand Hills? And if I love Wesley and Monica enough that I will bring them to the feet of Jesus and I will say, Jesus, bring it on, Bring it on. You move. Jesus, you give them the financial support they need to go down to Tampa and kick in the gates of hell and liberate the oppressed. You do that. Or is that just one of those things that we're like, oh man, Wesley and Monica, high five, I hope you get there someday. You know what I mean? Am I thinking that Jesus is really going to move? I mean, y'all, there's... Jesus is concerned about everything. He cares about every part of you. You know what I mean? You're, you're hurting? You're struggling with loneliness? You're struggling with lust? Whatever it is, it's Jesus cares about that. And he can change that. He can set you free. Bring your friends to Jesus because no matter what their need is, he can meet it. Do you know what I mean? Do you hear that? No matter what their need. Jesus is enough. Do what that guy did. Just lay him right there at Jesus' feet. Just plop right there smack dab in front of Jesus. Jesus has got to do something. This guy just came through the roof. Right? Just, just bring him on up there. You got to take time to do it. Practical point here for those of you that like practicality. When someone asks you to pray, don't say, okay, I'm going to pray about that later. Say, yeah. Let's pray right now. Let me, if that need is big enough on your heart that you're going to ask me to pray for you, let's do it right now. Grab her sweet little hand. Put your forehead on hers. And you take her to Jesus. Right in that moment. Why? Because Jesus is worthy and your friend is worth it. There is no greater calling in that moment than to take your broken 
friend to the one who can heal her. What makes going to you for counsel, a shoulder to cry on, a praise to rejoice in, any different than going to a non-Christian? Right? What makes going to you any different than going to someone who doesn't even know Jesus? What makes our friendships different than friendships shared by people who don't even know Jesus? Our friendships need to be different. They need to be marked by the gospel. They need to be centered around Jesus is worth it and your friend is worth it. Jesus is worthy. They need to look different. My friendships with my sisters in Jesus should not remain at the superficial world of Auburn or Alabama football. They need to go deeper than the next recipe or sale at Publix. Our friendships need to be honest, deep, and Christ-focused. We need to be able to share with one another where we are struggling and where we have failed. We need to be able to rejoice with each other in areas of blessings. I need sisters who will pray for me and will pray the blessings of God over me. We need our friendships to be free of the fear of rejection, bitterness, envy, lies, and gossip. These are not things that should be part of our friendships. We need our friendships in Christ to be always pointing to the gospel. We need gospel friends. A friend, my dear friend, Melissa Yarrington, has come to join us for this ladies' retreat. And she is going to share with us her story about how she went through a time of brokenness, is going through a time of brokenness, and how God has used the body of Christ to at times carry her on her mat, lay her at Jesus' feet. She's dear to me. I know that you all will love her, um, love her well, and so I, I welcome her into our community. Mm-hmm.